0: And now, remain standing for a reading of God's Word. Beloved, if you have your Bibles, please open it to Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. We'll begin reading with verse 1. Our text will be verses 1 through 13. And while you're turning there, I'll say uh, this is an extreme, extremely important chapter uh, of the Bible. We have all of the Bible as a a revelation of God and His will. And uh, everything that He gives us has its purpose. Some things are absolutely essential uh, to our faith and life in Christ. Others, although they may not be absolutely essential, are always, always beneficial. Uh, The doctrines that are revealed in the Scripture are either of the essence of the Christian faith or they are essence for the well-being of the Christian and uh, this is a, a portion of Scripture that is most, most important to keep in mind uh, because it's a cardinal teaching, a fundamental of all the Christian faith. We must be absolutely certain of the teaching of the last judgment, the last great day where all men, all mankind from all ages and all places will be brought before the Lord, the Lord Christ. The Lord Jesus Himself in His Holy Throne with all His angels, and Matthew twenty-five gives us a good amount of detail regarding that day. So let me read Matthew twenty-five, our text, verses one through uh, through thirteen. Hear now the Word of our God. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. Beloved, all flesh is as grass, as beauty is as the flower of the field. The grass withers and its flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. This is the word that was just read to you by God's good help and grace will be preached. Please have a seat. I know as families, you often take long trips together, either to visit other family or perhaps on vacation. Our family when when I was young, we lived in Minnesota, and we took a three days drive to meet up with family in miami, Miami, Florida that 's a lot of miles. Dad was very prudent, very careful uh, as uh, he knew the weariness of three days in a car or a station wagon with seven people don 't ask me how don't ask me how my father knew how to put seven people and their luggage for 10 days stay in a Buick LeSabre station wagon we can't do that with minivans today i don't right? anyway some things are are beyond understanding i guess for my youth one of the things that must be very much guarded for is road weariness after so many hours at the wheel it's easy for the hum of the road the hum of the engine the drone beat of so many, so many exits, so many McDonald's signs. We can get sleepy. It's a very dangerous thing to get drowsy behind the wheel. There's a whole industry supporting different caffeine drinks, truck driver drinks and all that with caffeine and other stimulus. Mm-hmm. Keep people awake. You must stay awake in this long road trip. Otherwise face the peril of very serious accidents the church is no different the church is a pilgrim is a pilgrim people the church is a group in the wilderness the church is a gathered people under Christ our Joshua leading us out of Egypt as Moses led us out of Egypt bringing us into our promised inheritance as under Joshua. We are a people in progress. We are perfected in nothing yet. We do not see our inheritance with carnal eyes yet. We do not even see our beloved Lord as yet, but we believe that he is risen, and that he is risen in glory, and he is the Son of God who gives us his righteousness by faith. We see all these things but we see them and we must persevere in them. And he is able, and he's promised that he would persevere in us. He who has redeemed us and begun a good work in us will complete it on the day of his return. But that does not mean that we are excused from being awake. We must have eyes open. Spiritualize. We must be diligent and we must, my friend, be about the task of being merciful to one another, being gracious to one another, for our judgment will be without mercy to all who show no mercy. I've just described to you an outline of Matthew 25. This is where we are. Matthew 25 has to do with three things being awake, number two, being diligent with those talents. Those are gifts. Number three, being diligent in our graces. Being awake as to the coming of the Lord, being prepared through the diligent preparation of all God's ordinances. That's the first part today, is about being awake. The second part is the parable of the talents, and that has to do with being diligent in all that we have by way of gifts. The third has to do with being awake and diligent about all the things that the Spirit provides us by grace. The grace of God is unto holiness. The grace of God is unto mercy. And as we have tried, uh, trusted others, uh, as we have treated others and being kind to one another, avoiding severe judgments, so we will be treated on the last day. That's Matthew 25, an exceedingly important chapter. But today we see the teaching before us is this, that when Jesus returns, he will distinguish his wise servants from his foolish servants. They're both in the church. They're they're, they're both dressed as people that are ready for their Lord. They have a name that is of life. Jesus returns. He sees something in his church that we cannot see. He sees wisdom in the heart that has received his gospel seed indeed. He sees foolishness in the hearts of those who are only topically hearing the word and not really receiving either the promise or even himself, his person. When Jesus returns, he will distinguish his wise servants from his foolish servants in the church, not in the world. And those who serve him faithfully in this age will remain watchful, will remain awake for his return and will joyfully meet him when he comes again suddenly. When he comes again suddenly. I'll read it one more time because all you need, my friend, is to take this home and you've you've got the teaching. If you believe it, ask God to bless it. You're set. That's what preaching goes. One point. Jesus returns he will distinguish the wise servants from his foolish servants in the church. And those who serve him faithfully in this age will remain watchful for his return and joyfully meet him when he comes again suddenly. All right, three points substantiating that one point, the three subsections. First, let's just take a look and, and understand that these virgins are so similar that Christ's wise and foolish servants to us appear indistinguishable in the church. I, I, it 's not an absolute axiom i mean i 'm not, not saying that you can 't tell obviously that someone is is grossly disobedient, flagrant in sin, naming himself a christian yeah that 's obvious, but we 're talking about the subtleties in the church and the, the, the subtle deceitness deceitfulness of, of our own hearts, for our own hearts are deceitful, and beyond understanding. They're, our own hearts are desperately wicked. And we can be self-deceived, but Jesus will never be deceived. He is the Lord. Christ's wise and foolish servants are indistingu- indistinguishable today in the church to men. But of course God measures the heart. God knows all All things are open and clear and readable to the Lord at all times. you there There's no place where darkness would obstruct his vision. Even the darkness is as light to him, says the psalm. We're talking about the visible church, and here we make a distinction among other Christians, even evangelical Christians, who say everyone who's baptized is in. But he's saying everyone who's baptized is a a wise virgin, basically. I'm I'm cutting to the quick here. I don't need to prove that. I'm just stating it right now. In the visible church, there are true and false believers, and they are not to be distinguished unless there's a gross violation, bring it to the session of the church, we've got Matthew 18, we've got uh, church censures, we've got any number of things, but no private person in the church is to say, this person here is wicked, he's got character issues, I am not going to deal with this person, I... the Bible says remand him two or three times after a second time. Avoid him. That's a private judgment. No man is to do that except he have the authority in the church, and that is in the Presbyterian church, it's the section of elders, or Presbytery, or the General Assembly. It must be done in process. But don't we love to judge? Even though we see here that we can't, we, it is impossible. It is impossible, my friends, to even judge our own hearts at all times. If the Lord gives us grace and insight as to the condition and spiritual nature of our hearts, yes. If we can see how we align beautifully with with the Bible as in 1 John, yes. If not, no. The visible church, true and false believers, not so easily distinguishable. Wheat and tares growing together in the world and in the church. They are indistinguishable until the harvest. And the Lord even says, leave them alone. I'm not, I'm not going to purge. I, we pray for unity, we pray for peace, we pray for the purity. But we're not to launch out in a program, I should say, pogrom, is that the, that's what it would be, a systematic elimination of the wicked, who we think are wicked in the church. We'd be left with what? Wooden pews. If we took out every sinner without mercy. That's not what we're here for. We're here for the cure of sin, not the devastation of sinners. We're here to help one another, not not to weary one another with criticisms. All men have this impulse to rid of everything that is causing them friction. Here we see all these women There are ten virgins, says the scriptures. These are certainly representing the church. They're virgins. They're pure. That word is in the Greek for deliberate. Pure and they appear holy. They're separate. God treats these differently than those that are not virgins, those that are not separate, those that are not dressed, those that that do not have lamps, those that do not have access to oil. This is the church, not the world. They are dressed outwardly. They look fine. And they're even all waiting. They're, they're, they're waiting. It looks like they're all waiting. They're, they're, they're together. They're waiting for the biggest, the most momentous occasion possible. The bridegroom comes. The bridegroom, who is promised, is coming. But here we see a vital distinction that will be made one day in the visible church. You say, why? Why would Jesus be so tough on His own people? Judgment begins in the house of God. We just read the call to worship, Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6. Call to me those who are made a covenant by sacrifice. The Lord Himself is judge. He is righteous. He will speak to them, and He will correct them, and He will point them in, in ways that they might improve or repent. Instruction and repentance and new obedience, that's our curriculum. There's nothing else that can be said about the Christian life except instruction. Repentance, because we don't believe perfectly and we don't obey perfectly. Repentance and then new obedience and the graces of the Holy Spirit. That's the curriculum and career of every Christian. A vital distinction will be made in the visible church. Five of these virgins were wise. This is to say that they knew who they were and who they were in the church. They knew how to live rightly. They knew what to believe correctly, as far as the essence, the essentials. And uh, more importantly, they could interpret the times. You see, this is all was said in Matthew 24. All the signs of the ends of the age. They're alert, they're awake. They know they're on a pilgrimage. They know that this is not the oasis spot, uh, the 70 palms there in Elam. Israel is not going to park at Elam and be refreshed on that oasis perennially. They must journey on through the weariness, of the, uh, uh, through heat, through many temptations and trials, into the teeth of enemy nations, until they arrive in their, to their inheritance. These were wise. They knew. They knew their calling. Five were foolish. They should have known. All resources were theirs. All ordinances were theirs. All lamps were given them. The oil was at hand. They had the companionship, which is the fellowship of five. Five wise, five wise friends. They should have known, but they did not live rightly. They may have confessed rightly with their mouth, but their hearts were far removed from God, teaching us traditions the doctrines of men. How many, how many churches do we have that splinter not over any item in the word of God, but over the traditions of men? Ask yourself, why, why are people leaving churches? And where do you find what they're looking for in our consensus and confessional articles or even in the scriptures. Where? If I were foolish, they should have known, but they did not live rightly. And they did not interpret the times. They're living for a comfort. They're at Elam. Seventy palms. Good water. Refreshing after all the dust. Maybe, it was, maybe that's the first bath they took you know, since leaving Egypt, Finally. Something refreshing here for us. We're not to park at Elam. We have to keep going. And the Lord Himself, Jesus himself was the, le- was the one who led that congregation in the wilderness. we find out later, First Corinthians 10. Why the virgins are not distinct? Why are these virgins not disting- distinguishable to us? It's because outward norms do not necessarily in- indicate inward realities. People who park their Christian lives on the ordinances that are signs and do not follow the ordinances to the things signify are dwelling in outward realities and not in inward excuse me in outward forms and norms and not in inward realities these things are here to point us to Christ and if we use them to uh, to have rich fellowship and enjoyment our soul knows the fellowship of God knows the pleasure of his company And if we do that in secret prayer, if we were able to do that in the assembly where we know that the Lord has visited and touched our hearts and souls, we are dealing not with the outward form of preaching, which we can talk, you know, we talk all the time about what was said and the manner it was said and all that. We need to be talking about who was preached. And who was it that we heard in that sermon? Essentially, it's I don't, draw my, I don't draw disciples after myself. As long as I'm preaching the word of God, it's Christ you hear. It's Christ you hear, as long as this word is true to the scriptures. It's the difference between people who are looking for outward conformity and norms and elements and stopping short of following through to where they point Christ. The lamp oil, that's the one vital ingredient In this parable, having that, one is safe at Christ's coming. We'll say more about that, but let's just distinguish that because Christ means anointed, and anointed means oil. This is everywhere a Christian essential, a, a Christian essential, this oil. But many who profess Christ in the mouth have been baptized in the Holy Trinity through water, representing all of God's work. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Father drawing men to Christ, the Christ sanctifying them by His Word, sending His Holy Spirit, the Spirit sealing them and applying their redemption. All of that is signified, but never owned. It's on the table as an offering to our covenant children, but they never step up and say, ah, yes, this is, this is my covenant. This is my God. And I am his servant. I am his betrothed and, and, and promised. Many who profess Christ will lack this oil. It, it is, again, this is a very sobering chapter. It reminds me of the most, so, the most sobering place in all of Scripture for me. It's in Matthew, again, the 7th chapter, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, says the Lord Jesus, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? These are teachers. These are, I'm beyond teachers. These are, these are men that are zealous purportedly, for the kingdom and for the cause of Christ. They know Jesus, they recognize Jesus, and they even call him Lord. Lord, meaning all that he is, prophet, priest, and king. Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I, I hope that not, you're not using a dull theology to blunt the force of Jesus' warning in Matthew seven twenty-one or in this chapter. Don't be deceived. You need you need to let this word. You need to let this word dwell in your ears and go sink deeply in your ears and in your heart. Don't let any dullard cheat you of your inheritance in Christ through silly, reductionist theology. So much for the visible church. The invisible church, in the invisible church, God knows His own. God knows His own elect. True believers... From the beginning of the world to the last. His body. Not one one member of his body is missing in the mind of Christ because they've all been elected from before the foundation of the world. Not one will be missing in the day when he makes it all visible. The invisible church is a mystery in Christ. One day it will be made visible. This is the parting of the ways. The foolish are cast away. The wise enter in and are acknowledged as intimate with the Lord. Christ's elect possess this relationship because they possess the essential oil, the anointing that is Christ. Christ's elect keep and guard tenaciously as the greatest pearl that they have, as the most essential, the very life That's a Christian who knows what he has and will never, by God's grace, be asleep at the switch, fall asleep at the wheel, and derail. (laughs) Christ's wise and foolish uh, servants today, we can't tell the difference. Not not absolutely. In some cases when things are, are blatant, yes, but... Not when things look up, not when things look neat and nice. Second point, substantiating our our proposition is that Christ's wise servants they remain watchful because His return is sudden. I've already said, but I'll quote quickly through the second point. They they certainly know that Christ will return. They've been taught this. Uh, even the youngest church there, that uh, Elder Thomas is preaching on Sunday evenings, they 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 were very well instructed. They they knew the the doctrine of the return of the Lord Jesus at the last day, and, and they know they know that Christ will return suddenly. Paul there to the Thessalonians says, "You know, you're 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 not a stranger to Christ that that his coming will surprise you as a thief. Uh, in other words, you're not going to be robbed of anything that you have. Truly, you'll be ready. You'll receive him with joy. Uh, but in this parable here." Christ emphasizes the surprise element. It's the surprise element that keeps. Is a, there's a mighty in, a inducement for keeping awake. If 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 we knew what time of the night the thief would come, we'd stay awake and we, you know, we could repel him. Right? You know. So, but no, no one knows the day or the hour. So they know Christ will certainly return for them, not just. Not just a general theory, but Christ is coming for me. Christ, my beloved, is coming for me, whom he has loved. We need to, we need to, we need to, every time we say the Lord's Prayer, my friends, we need to make sure that we personalize that. Thy kingdom come to me. Christ, you, you come for me. I'm yours. You, you have redeemed me. That's applying the word of truth graciously and joyfully. They know Christ will certainly come. They know He'll return certain, certain, suddenly. And w- w- I, I remind myself all the time, even though I, oh, I'm awake, but I will be surprised. Everyone here will be surprised. There'll be surprising things at His return. Even though we're giving some information, we're not given all information. So, yeah. But we won't be caught so surprised as to be shamed. And they know they must be ready to meet Him on His return. They know here by this teaching, which all Christians should be knowledgeable of, that the essential element is the oil, and that is the christening of the the Christian. The Holy Spirit's christening applies Christ and all of his virtues, his gifts, and his graces. This is why the oil is brought together in the fourth part of Matthew 25. The rest will deal with gifts of the Spirit, of that oil, and graces of that oil, the Holy Spirit. That's the essential. They know that they must be ready to meet Him, and they must have that oil. They truly serve the Lord, then, with that oil. If you have the christening, you do today truly serve the Lord by faith and by obedience. Not like in Matthew 7. Where you hear the term, depart from me, all you workers of lawlessness. No. If you have the oil, you're imputed Christ's righteousness, which is perfect, received already as righteous in the sight of God for the sake of Christ, your righteousness. But then by his oil, you, will inf- you are infused necessarily and infallibly, you will be improved. As long as he tarries in holiness by the power of God. Not that you won't have laps, you'll lap, you know, you have lapses, you're imperfect, you sin, yes, but you also mortify sin. You also grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they know the oil, they know that they truly serve the Lord, that they are the Lord's servants, and they look for his coming joyfully according to Christ's promise. Okay? This is one of those things that we need to understand. We we need to be looking for his promise. There are some teachings out there that have this is coming so far out. I've heard, believe it or not, I've heard this. Oh, the Lord is going to tarry uh, forty thousand years because, uh, and they 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 arrive at some convoluted way of of calculating that it's going to be forty thousand years, uh, and so. We need. We have to do some other things, and do, not pay, paying so much attention yet to his second coming. Uh, that, my friends, is like, you know, it's a little bit like eating blowfish, you know, in Japan. Go, you can try it, but one nick of the spleen, and you're done. Why, why gamble on a the toxic theology? Eschatology is not even an essential, except for some of the things that are essential in this in this chapter. Beware of an eschatology that places Christ return far off as to lull disciples to sleep. Take my knees, build your barns. Now, Christ's wise servants remain watchful, but the, the, the foolish are the, the false servants, and they know that Christ will certainly return. They've heard this since their youth. They know that He will return suddenly. There will be a surprise but they are incapable of making ready to meet Him on His return because they lack the essential oil. The oil had been applied topically, you might say, in the ordinances and all that as signs and seals, but when it comes time to use the oil, exercise faith and obedience, they do not have it in their lamps. They're not ready for Christ. There's an an outward sanctifying of false servants in the church, but it has nothing to do with the reality of having union with Christ and fellowship in, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. False servants know some things, but they are not capable of true, truly serving the Lord by faith and, and love. What I mean by love is, is obedience. That's what love is. If you love me, you keep my commandments. They look to his coming, one. What? Theoretically, joyfully. I mean, Israel would, would boast in the coming of the Lord. They were looking for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is if they were looking for something triumphal in their lives, like hitting the, the wheel of fortune, you know? And we won the lottery. And the, and the, the prophet rebukes Israel. Why are you, you people, why are you looking for the day of the Lord? The the day of the Lord to you is going to be a day of of darkness. The day of the Lord to you is going to be one of of anguish. So repent is the consistent message of the prophets to a wayward people, a wayward church in the Old Testament. And it's the same thing, thing. Those things in the Old Testament, those admonitions by those prophets are written for our sake that we might profit and not make the same mistakes. Us, to whom the end of the ages has come, says the scriptures. My friends, when you pray daily, I hope you pray often, if not daily, that the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. Don't say it rote. See the kingdom come with the king at its head. See the kingdom come with this, these mighty hosts of angels, you'll, you'll read about later in Matthew 25. Pray that kingdom come with your eyes open. You can pray with your eyes open. There's no angel going to take exception to that. Just in case he comes when you're in prayer. Yeah, just in case. You won't miss it. First light of day. But pray, even as you pray for your daily bread. I read a, a, a quote by Thomas Watson just yesterday. You know, you are more assured that you will be raised from your grave on the last day in the, in the general resurrection, you can be more sure of that than that you will be erased from your bed the next morning when you go to sleep. You have more certainty that you will be raised from the dead and face this judgment day than you have that you will wake up tomorrow from your bed and go out and have breakfast. You have no certainty of that. You have certainty of this day. So be wise, remain watchful, the third point, Christ's wise and foolish servants will become apparent then at His return. Wise servants, full of joy. Joy, you know, you know there, we can be convicted by law, my friends. The law of God always plies our hearts and we, we, we see that we lack righteousness. But one of the most convicting scriptures of all that I read is this phrase, that the Christian today is filled with joy inexpressible. And I am not always filled with joy inexpressible. So what I'm saying is I I am not appropriating the fullness of the gospel grace. Paul is mentioning something here that is available to us. And we read that too quickly and say, yeah, I have joy. Oh, yes, you have joy. No, all Christians have joy, especially especially when worship and when we're delighting ourselves in the closeness of God of prayer. But is that joy always inexpressible? It's, it's, it's almost a gnomic, that is to say it's almost a state that, sh- that should be ours if we realized our calling. And he who is coming back for us, our beloved. We should be like that Shulamite woman in the Song of Solomon, always looking for always complaining, where is he? Why is he tardying? I miss the Lord. And all the other friends, why? What's wrong with you? What is your beloved above other men that you, oh, my, my beloved is fair, and you, you, you have the gospel in your lips. And when you see him, your, house, your, your heart pounces. Joy, inexpressible. That's what the, the wise versions will have at the Lord's coming. And Jesus will reciprocate that love. Nothing worse, my friends, than love unrequited. That's the worst. I hope you've never experienced that, where you love someone purely and deeply and truly and they just cast you off. Jesus will not cast off. He loves you truly, he loves you warmly, he loves you deeply. More than you love him, he's coming back and he will be the one who is exalting over his bridegroom and his, and his virgins. He is the one who is going to be <laughs> the, the main dancer ahead of his feet. At his feast. (laughs) Have you ever been to a Jewish wedding? Have you ever seen a moping, sad bridegroom? No. They do everything they can to make that place a feast. That's Jesus. When he sees everyone there, it's a celebration. And the five wise virgins will joyfully enter in at his return. And be received. The foolish servants are not ready. They're not ready. They're not ready for that day. The false servants run out of time. We're talking about time. That's we're talking about history. We're talking about the end of human history. They're running, they have run out of time. There is no more time. When Christ returns, no more time. Google calendars? No. All servants run out of time. They come back. It's too late. The shut out. The picture is very reminiscent, reminding us of which a teaching will be later brought up in the same chapter 25. Of Noah's day. The ark was ready. The proclamation went out. The door was open. Many animals and Noah and seven others went in. God shut the door. The door was shut. The way was closed, the way to the new world, the way to the rinsed world where violence would be at least stayed under the government's sword for a while in Noah's day. The door shut, everyone that was outside perished. Everyone inside? It wasn't quite a party, was it? No, it wasn't it wasn't like that, but at least there was salvation in the ark. Well these these foolish virgins, they'll have a lot of zeal then. They'll make I They'll, they'll make any number of statements about how, why they need to be in there with with the bridegroom. Here we are. They want in very badly. But Christ never knew them. And that day there is no salvation by faith because there's no, there's no faith required. Because faith will have been made sight. The covenant of grace will be fulfilled. God's terms fulfilled, and the contract now is moot. It's been sealed. Now that your eyes have seen the Lord of glory, you were to believe in Him in, his, in the state of humiliation on the cross as He died for you. You were to believe Him invisible at the right hand of God, directing your lives as your Lord and believing His Word and, and, and enjoining Him who is unseen as though seen in your prayers, and whom you've never seen, but you love, says the scriptures. Christ never knew them. They never knew Christ. Oh, but they said they did. We've got a recorded, oh, we've got our session minutes they've They made, they made a good profession of faith. We've got witnesses. All men are liars. All men are liars. God only knows the heart. They never, knew them, they never knew Christ. Excluded, rejected, condemned. Let's bring this teaching to a close. When Jesus returns, he will distinguish his wise servants from his foolish servants. Those who serve him faithfully, lovingly, by faith, uh, in this age, will remain watchful for his return. Joyfully meet him when he comes again suddenly. The question then, how do you remain watchful? Oh, the secret is that, that ingredient, the oil. I mean, that's, it all boils down to the oil, my guys. You understand this, right? If you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you are Christian. If you do not, you are not. There's no sneaking up. There's no partial, half, quasi, semi Christian. Either you're in. wise, because once christened, with the Holy Spirit, then you partake of all that Christ is. And Christ to you is your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification, your, your redemption. It's an all-in-one package if you have Christ. <laughs> Missing that, you have nothing. And the proof of that, of course, is, 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 is as the rest of the chapter, please come back. This is not the only thing that needs to be said about the, the Lord's coming and, and, and then judgment those who have the Holy Spirit will avail of the power of the resurrected life in mortifying sin and in walking in newness of life. And so my friends, if you have a mere outward appearance of holiness and don't don't know, you may have tasted of the powers of the age to come and still fall back. Because you, you have tasted them in a, in a way that outward Christians and not inward Christians taste them. And so you must be diligent to seek the Lord until you know and have a strong assurance of faith. That's your your goal. Not to just have a mere faith, but to have a strong assurance of faith. Now you might not have strong and infallible assurance as is possible, says our standards, Presbyterian standards. But all faith has some measure even the tiniest drop of assurance, that you might be comforted, that you might sustain your walk and, and not be deceived and, and cast away your hope irretrievably. If you don't, my friends, the gospel is there for you. Christ welcomes you as a sinner to receive Him, to rest in His righteousness as He has obeyed the whole law, the whole moral law on your behalf, and he has paid the debt with his own blood for all the sins, all that you owed the Lord by way of your transgressions. He's paid it all. He has it in reserve for you if you will just receive him as your substitute Lamb of God takes the sin in the world. That's the gospel. Be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come in, Come in and begin the ordinances of God. And with the beginning ordinance of baptism, be diligent to keep every ordinance. The public worship is an ordinance. It's like a a truck driver's little caffeine can. The the, the ordinances are there to stimulate, if not provoke, (laughs) the driver from falling asleep. It gives him grace to, to keep on the pilgrim way. But you have to avail of the ordinances And and Shorter Catechism 85 says you must be diligent in the use of the outward means. Does that mean that you're saved by faith plus works? No. It means that God has ordained means whereby He gives you extra coffee for your trip. That means you must be putting away all sin, including that pride that keeps you from Forgiving others who may have slighted you some some way. We all are bound to trip over one another in the church. Let's, Let's just admit that we're all hospital cases and that this is a hospice and we're all under treatment here. What's wrong with being admitting that you're a sinner and acting as if you can forgive other sinners because you've been forgiven? That's the church. And if we can't do that, the solution is not to hop churches. The solution is to become a Christian. The reason many professing Christians will not enter Christ's kingdom, because they really are practical atheists. Yeah, you know, they take the name of Christ, but they, they act otherwise. They're comfortable in the world, they seek comfort above all. Don't trouble me with troublesome people in the church. I don't care to learn and I don't care to meet any new people. I don't care who's visiting. Trusting the religious externals. They taste the powers of the age, but only externally. No heart change, no, no contrition for sin. They'll confess sin, but they don't have any zeal to, to, to show public repentance. A sinner who is repentant will be very careful to demonstrate publicly that he's a changed man by the grace of God, and will give Christ the glory and new obedience. Something short from that, all you have is a confession, and a carnal hiding of your malice. No heart, cont- no heart contrition for sin, no real hatred of sin. Oh, you know, God will forgive me. No, no 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 plying the Lord's laws, the breadth and depth of His instruction, the moral the moral law for to learn deeply, deeply the things that please God more, increasing more and more discernment in right and wrong. Isn't that what sanctification is about? Right and wrong doctrine? Discernment, right and wrong doctrine? Discernment, right and wrong behavior? Well, for the discernment of right and wrong behavior, you've got the law. You've got to apply the law. You've got to apply the gospel mysteries as well to see all that Christ provides for you in grace and be assured in the grace that you d- barely have that oil and that you are in your way. And then reach for that little cup so you can remain awake at the wheel. The ordinances. Diligent use of the ordinances says Westminster well, Shorter Catechism number 85. Whereby Christ whereby Christ gives to us the benefits of His redemption. And that's what we want. We want benefits and we want them at the head, Christ's hands. Okay? Examine yourself then to, be few, to see if you're in the Lord. If you If you want to maximize joy, there can be no greater joy than to know that you are Christ's. And happiness and joy will not come without holiness. God does not work magic in his covenant of grace. He he whom he saves, he sanctifies by and by in time. And they actually grow in happiness and in utility and in peaceableness. Are you really in the Lord? And especially at the Lord's table, when, when the minister pauses and says, well, that's time, let's, let's just wait. This is a perfect picture of, of love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, communion, Trinity, and communion with uh, with a believer in the Trinity, and, and also with believer with believer. But if we don't have that in a church, or if we're holding grudges, if we refuse to speak to one another, shunning one another, whatever. That picture is not there. Don't advance on the Lord's table. Think, oh, it's an ordinance. So God will forgive me. Ah, I don't know. Are you willing to eat that puffer fish with a spleen been nicked? It may be true that God will forgive you, but you may die of your own toxic theology. Because all who believe in Christ are put to death of deeds of the flesh. And especially in an ordinance, that the, the picture is such a close and loving relationship between the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The believer in the Trinity, each person, and believer with believer. Defile that and you, you're, I don't know where you are. Wise men will ask the Lord to search their hearts. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Are you wise? The psalm was given for, the, for that exercise. Are you wise or are you foolish? The, the Lord wants us to be joyful and expectant in His coming. He he wants to surprise us because he has good things for us on that day. Gifts and graces. Grace upon grace. Grace that will be given to you. You have grace now, but in that day he has more abundant grace. He has even more grace than you'll ever receive today. And you can look forward to that and you can thank him and you can be joyful. And you don't need me to tell you that. Because you have the resident teacher, the Holy Spirit. And He will convince you of this. And you will grow. And every once in a while, savor joy and expressible. My friends, you need to prepare for the Lord's coming. You need to prepare for your own death. Some of you don't have that many days. Review this, review this teaching. He may not come at the last for you, but He's going to come for you on your last breath. Same thing. You've heard the gospel. The gospel is for sinners. The Lord, the Son of Man, has come to seek and to save the lost. This is a house of prayer for lost people that have been found and are in process and being given oil And gifts and graces. I think by God's oil and gifts and graces, we can be certain that He will persevere in us, even as we persevere with what He gives us. And let's be confident of that. And let's rejoice. Let's pray. Our Lord, seal this ordinance of preaching to us, that we may be Your servants indeed on the day of Your glory. And may we expect you triumphantly and joyfully, for this, we know, is pleasing in your sight. Help us to rejoice always in the Lord. Through Jesus, amen. Let's serve him tithes and offerings, please. Thank you. You've left us instruction to present ourselves sacrifices to you holy, which is our reasonable service. We pray, Lord that as we do yield ourselves to you and consecrate ourselves to you and you, that you would receive these gifts from our hearts, from our, from our hands, and tribute to your lordship over us as the font of every good gift. And Lord, we pray that as we have blessed you, you would bless these gifts that may be accrue, that they may accrue to the glory of your kingdom. And that we may see new works, that you may sustain the ministry here by your, by your inexhaustible gifts and graces and power. And so bless the gifts. Bless the givers, and may your name, Lord, be great among us. We bless you in Christ. Amen. sing our last anthem. It's number 318 in your bulletin.